Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hello. It's nice to see you all. If I haven't had a chance to meet you or if you're visiting with us, I'm Pastor John, the senior pastor here at Stonebridge, and I'm back from vacation. Yeah. Um, vacationing with two young kids. Not so vacation-y, you know? Came back a little t- more tired than I expected, but it was fun. Lake Tahoe was beautiful. There was snow there, but it was the kind of gross kind. That's ice, but the boys still got to play with snow for the first time in their lives, so that was very fun. But I'm glad to be back here. And we are concluding our sermon series, Stonebridge Deli, focusing on this idea of the Markin sandwich. But it's not just the sermon series that we're concluding. We're saying goodbye to the Gospel of Mark for a while now. And every time this happens, we go through these Gospels for a few months, the last few years, we get to the end, and it just feels a little sad to me. It's like we've had this friend, Mark, who's been talking to us, and now we're just going to kick him to the curb. So I encourage you to not do that. Keep reading the Gospel of Mark. Keep studying the Gospel. Just because we are moving on doesn't mean you have to completely ignore the Gospel of Mark till we come back. Um, In your personal lives, I encourage you to keep reflecting on this Gospel. But next week, we're going to be starting a sermon series focused on Peter's letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And I don't have a title for this sermon series yet. I'm really bad at titles. So I want to ask you all, if you have a clever title for a sermon series on Peter, let me know. Um, you, can, you can have a chance. We'll crowdsource this. There's going to be no, com- no, no prize whatsoever, except you know it's your title. So if that's the kind of thing that you want, well, let me know some ideas here. Um, if I don't hear anything good, it's just going to be called Peter, okay? And that's boring. So, but yeah, we're going to be focusing on that. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to mention something else. I came back to some pretty incredible news. Our golf tournament for Sarah's house raised over $10,000. Thank God for that. I got to say, good job, Stonebridge, all of you who helped organize that, who came to that, who were part of it. Thank you for that. And also the baby bottle campaign um, is close to $4,000 for Sarah's house as well. So good job there. Give yourselves a pat on the back, all right? I'm watching you. Pat on the back, Kelly. There you go. Good job, everybody. That's going to bless so many people. Thank you for participating. Thank you for your support for Sarah's house. Um, Let's see what God does with that through that ministry now. But this morning, we are looking at our last Markin sandwich. And remember, the Markin sandwich is this literary technique that Mark uses, where Mark will take one story, cut it in half, place a second story inside of it, and by doing so, teaches us a deeper point shows us something a little deeper by combining these two stories. And I'm going to invite up uh, Bonnie Rieger to come and help me read the scripture passage so you can see where the two stories take place. And we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 17 through 31. So I invite you to hear God's word. When it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. 
For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. This is God's word. Please now join me in prayer. Thank you, Bonnie. Lord, you have gathered us here. You've brought us together, and we ask that you now speak to us through your scriptures. Lord, open up your word to us. Help us to see through these stories that Mark has woven together, how we might follow you, how we might accept your grace, how we might be forgiven by you, and how we might be your disciples. So help us to understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is teaching us through these two stories combined, Lord. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I do have to say that the Mark sandwich is, is two stories. That's the, the two, or one, two stories, one chopped up into half, and that's the bread side. On the bread side of this one, it's not a clean sandwich, okay? You got to just expand the metaphor a little bit. This one, this Mark and sandwich is like you go into your kitchen and you want to make a sandwich, and you have one slice of one kind of bread and only one slice of another kind of bread, and then you put them together. They're both still bread, but it's not exactly the same story. With this one, what Mark is doing is basically doing three different sections. The first and the third section have a similar theme. There's a theme that binds them together. It's not exactly the same exact story. It's not like the one with the temple where Jesus curses the temple, and then you get resolution to that later. Instead, it's this theme. And in the first story here, the theme is pretty simple. Jesus' disciples are not great. This isn't their best moment. In the first section, Jesus is foretelling something bad that one of his disciples is going to do to him. One of the people who's there at that table with them, who's with them, one of the 12, one of his closest friends, he says, is going to betray him. We know he's talking about Judas. But he's saying this about the disciples to them, letting them know, you're going to do something really bad to me. In the third section there, Jesus again foretells something bad that his disciples are going to do. This time they're going to abandon him. They're going to become deserters. Peter says, even if I have to die, I will never desert you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me in just a couple hours. This very night, you're going to deny me. You're going to act like you never even knew me. And Peter denies it. 
And then all the other ones are saying, yeah, me too, me too, me too. And they're being brave. But we know that in a matter of hours, what Jesus says is going to come true. In these two sections, Jesus is foretelling something bad that his disciples are going to do. This is not good discipling. This is not the model of discipleship that we see here. They're going to abandon him. They're going to deny him. One of them is going to hand him over so that his life can be taken. Jesus' disciples, not so great. That's the theme that ties together the first and the third sections here. So then what does Mark do? What does he put in the middle there? It's the story of the first communion. It's the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's Jesus breaking the bread, handing it to his disciples in this intimate moment, saying, this is my body. Jesus pouring out the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant of my blood poured out on behalf of many. This is the first communion. It's the invitation to the Lord's table. It's Jesus inviting them there. And I think on its own, it's a rather beautiful moment. I don't know how you all feel about communion, but in the second story there, it does focus on communion. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, I think communion is a beautiful practice. We do it once a month here at Stonebridge, and there's a lot of mystery in communion as well. It's one of those practices that we do regularly, but I don't really know exactly how everything is working. I can't explain to you what exactly is happening. Some traditions, when they talk about communion in the Christian church, they say that the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ, that is almost magically transformed into that. That's not so much what our tradition believes. So some other traditions have said that it's purely just a symbol, that it's just symbolic, the bread is still just bread, the, the wine or the juice is still just wine or juice. That's not exactly what the Presbyterian Reformed tradition believes either. Well, some branches do, but not the Presbyterian one. For the Presbyterian tradition, when it comes to communion, it's kind of a middle ground. We say that there in the bread and in the wine or the juice, the spiritual presence of Christ is there. That in a very unique way, in communion, we experience Christ's presence that somehow Jesus is there, and that through this act, we are pulled together. We are united. We are bound together. Not just here with our church, but with Christians past, present, and future. That this practice, it brings us back to that original moment that Mark is talking about. Tradition, a sacrament that has been passed down for 2,000 years. And there's something really beautiful in that. There's something beautiful in the fact that communion ties us across time. Past, present, and future, Christians have partaken in this. And not just through time, but in space also. Throughout the world, Christians practice communion. And at this point in our world, I think one thing that is encouraging to me, that is so beautiful, is that at any given point, with how many Christians there are in the world, you are pretty much guaranteed that at whatever moment you're thinking of, somebody is partaking in communion somewhere throughout this world. You can think about it constantly, Christians partaking in the body of Christ, being pulled together at the Lord's Supper. There's always somebody who's doing that throughout the world. 
It's beautiful, and it's meant to unite us, to pull us together. Sadly, though, communion has at times been a point of controversy. The church's own humanity gets in the way of things. And there's been periods in the church's history where Christians have taken the lives of other Christians over the definition of communion. Think about how sadly and tragically ironic that is. It's meant to pull us together, to unify us. And people waged wars over disagreements related to it. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus intended with communion. I don't think we still have the same types of wars and fights and take each other's lives, but you can still see Christians disagreeing, having arguments, churches divided based off of communion. You also see churches trying to deny some people from communion, trying to limit who can come to the table based on different conditions. And you look at the different traditions and it's always different conditions. Nobody really agrees. Far too often it's become a a point of division when it was intended to be the opposite. The thing is, though, it's not like that's new. It's not like communion being divisive or Christians finding ways to divide each other. It's not like that's a new thing. If you go back and you look at the very earliest evidence of the the early church, you look at the Apostle Paul's letters, you see that already at the church's beginnings, there was disagreement about communion. There was division. The Apostle Paul writes in one letter to a church that they've been divided by communion, that they're not making sure that the poor people who show up for this meal are being able to eat also, that they're not looking at the entire church community, that they've set up divisions based on wealth. There's another church he writes to where poor people are just being denied communion. Rich people are able to go first. From the very, very beginning of the church, there was these types of disagreements. These questions about who can come to the table, who can't. Who is part of the fellowship, who isn't. And I think that's what Mark is addressing here with this Mark and Sandwich. I think that's what Mark is weighing in on. You have a story before the first Lord's Supper of one of the people who is present there who is going to hand Jesus over to die, to be killed. And then after the Lord's Supper, you have a story of how all of the disciples, everyone who was there at that first Lord's Supper is going to abandon Jesus. And one of them is going to deny that he even knows them. And they're all not even aware of this. They're trying to be brave, but they're going to abandon him. That's the group of people who were there at the first Lord's Supper. Mark's making it really clear. If you think that coming to the Lord's table means you have to be a perfect follower of Jesus, well, the very first people who were there were far from perfect. The very first people who were there, one of them handed Jesus over to be killed. The rest of them abandoned him. The most courageous one denied him. And yet those are the people Jesus decided to begin this tradition with. And if it was good enough for them, well, thank God it's good enough for us also. Whatever it is you might think that is there in your life that blocks you from following Jesus or being part of the church or being part of a community, 
It's not something Jesus holds against you. The invitation stands for you also. When you're invited to the Lord's table to partake in communion, God's grace is extended to you. God's forgiveness is extended to you. You are invited there. It has nothing to do with you being a perfect follower of Jesus because guess what? You're not. And the very first people who were there, they were terrible examples in that moment of followers of Jesus. They were a mess. And the church is going to be a mess also. So when that invitation is extended to you, Come, if Jesus is your Lord, if you repent of sins, come to the table. There's good news there. There's grace there. But there's also a bit of a challenge when you think about it. Because if that grace is extended to you, if that grace and forgiveness is extended to you at the Lord's table, well, guess what? It's also extended to the Christian that you disagree with. It's also extended to that Christian that votes for the party that you think is horrible and immoral and evil. It's also extended to the Christian who votes for the policies that you disagree with. It's extended to the Christian that you're having a property dispute with because there are fences on your lawn. I don't know what's going on in your life. But the other Christians in your life that you're disagreeing with, that you're arguing with, guess what? It's extended to them also. If it's extended to the betrayer of Jesus, if Judas was there, if it's extended to the person who denied Jesus, if Peter was there, if it's extended to those who abandoned Jesus, all the disciples who would abandon him were there, then it's extended to them also, the people that you disagree with, the people that you're frustrated with. This invitation is open. The Lord's table is not about being perfect. The Lord's table is not about having it all figured out. The Lord's table is about acknowledging We need Jesus to sustain us. We need the Holy Spirit to nourish us. We need a church community to carry us. We are the body of Christ with all of our flaws, with all of our failings. I think of it this way. When Jesus says at the first Lord's Supper, this is my body, he's referring to the bread, but he's also referring to that group of knuckleheads who are there with him. These flawed, failing disciples of his who won't have the courage that's needed to continue until they experience the resurrection, that's who he decided to initiate the Lord's Supper with. At its core, in my mind, communion is about grace and forgiveness. That though we are not worthy, we are brought into the body of Christ. And I think in that spirit, there's some things that we can do to practice communion in that way. Not just coming here to the table, but actually living it out in our own lives. Again, in one of his letters, the Apostle Paul, he asks the church to examine themselves before they're going to partake in communion. He asks them to look at themselves. So we're not celebrating communion today. It feels like we should, though, right? I'm talking about it so much. But that was somewhat intentional. Because I want to give you an invitation this next week to live out the spirit of communion in your own life and to examine yourselves. Before we come to the table next week, we do it first Sunday of every month, so next week we'll be doing communion. This next week, I want to give you this invitation. Examine yourself. Look in your own life. Ask for forgiveness from somebody if you need to ask for forgiveness this next week. 
If there's somebody that you need to grant forgiveness to, reflect on that. And in your own heart, or explicitly if appropriate, extend forgiveness to somebody that you've been holding something against. Make amends in your life where needed. Not because that's going to make you perfect or worthy. That's not what communion's about. That's not what the Lord's table is about. Do this because the purpose of communion was to unite us, to bring us together, to have a, a church that is held together on nothing but our need for Jesus, our acknowledgement for Jesus. And that means forgiveness for ourselves, forgiveness for others. That we're united in our need for Jesus. So this next week, examine yourself. Live communion out in your life. And then come here next week and let's partake together in the Lord's Supper, knowing that if it was good enough for the ragtag group of disciples that Jesus had, it's good enough for us also and that we are accepted here at this table. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this picture of the first communion that Mark reminds us of, that Mark took the time to remind us of who exactly was there at that table, that they were not perfect. They didn't have it all figured out. And in that moment, they were not exemplary disciples of you. But yet, you invited them to your table. And we thank you that you invite us to your table also. We thank you that at the table we experience grace, we experience forgiveness. Help us to be a community rooted in forgiveness, rooted in your grace. Extending that to others. Help us to be a community that accepts your forgiveness. Lord, help our practice of communion to not just be a, a ritual, to not just be a symbol, but to be an experience of your presence, something that sustains us and nourishes us to be your followers in this world.
Ever be 